the Big Show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big thanks to our title sponsor, Big O Tires. Now through June 13th, get up to $70 reward card on select Michelin, BF Goodrich, or Uniroyal Tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Let's jump out to the Zone phone. Joining us now, of course, our good friend, a longtime jazz assistant coach. He's the one and only Coach Gordy Chiesa. Coach, how are you? Guys, I'm doing well. Thank you. Hey, Coach, uh, it's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the most positive place to start, but I uh, feel like we need to talk to you about uh, Mark Eaton. Uh, passed over the weekend uh, at the age of 64. You coached him uh, for a long, long time, and just uh, curious to get uh, your thoughts about uh, uh, such a loss to our community. Very much. It's a, it's a special loss, and he was absolutely a great guy. Think about his uh, career arc. He went from an auto mechanic in California to playing junior college at Cypress College in L.A. area, to going to UCLA, the head coach was Larry Brown. He was, a, he was on a really a good team where he scored a total of, Jake, 56 career college points. And then Frank Layden, that smart guy, the Utah Jazz architect, drafted Mark Eaton in 1982 in the fourth round. And most of all, Jake, he gave him a three-year contract. And so Mark always told me that when Frank gave him that three-year guaranteed money, that really said to him that he belongs and that the skill set developed and absolutely the, his, his whole persona became into, into the view, uh, the, the view uh, point, and he absolutely was a special player. I coached him, Jake, as you alluded to, and I have so many uh, just quick stories. Here's one. Um, back in 1992, the Jazz, that was the Rodney King uh, year, the Jazz were playing the Clippers. And we were, you know, that was a troubling time in the country. And so we stayed in the hotel literally for, for six days, only going to practice and finally playing. So Mark and I had some really deep discussions in the lobby of the hotel talking about race, race relationships, but also the NBA in general. Let's fast forward it. About two weeks later, the Jazz are in the conference finals for the first time. We're playing the uh, Portland Trailblazers, who really had a good team. Hit some of the big guys. I remember right, Kevin Duckworth, Buck Williams, Mark Bryant, Cliff Robinson, uh, Wayne Cooper. So after practice during that uh, playoff run versus the uh, Trailblazers, Mark says to me, Hey, Gordy, let's go for a ride. So suddenly, Jake and uh, Gordon, I'm Mark Eaton's wingman in his beautiful, like 19, I want to say 62, with the big fins and pallet convertible, and I'm his wing guy, Jake, and we're, we're driving up the Immigration canyon, canyon without a care in the world, and then we stop at Roots Diner, we have lunch, and then the world's almost perfect. <laughs> yeah, what a great guy, no doubt about that. Gordy, let me ask you uh, a question. As you watch the Jazz in these playoffs and you see how they move the ball, you see how they punish teams from beyond the arc, you see how if they, they stress getting the ball to Rudy Gobert so he can flush it down low. If you are the opposing coach, how do you defend this offense? Well, you de- well, the way you would try to attempt to defend it is be maniacal and just technique-wise. It all starts when Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson, they penetrate 
way too easy. Now, it's good for those guys. So in jazz basketball, it's positive. So suddenly, Mike Conley's in the lane, and he freezes the help defensive player, which was last night was uh, Valachunas and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that gives Rudy that uh, alley lane, either for a law pass or uh, a pass directly to him by his numbers for dunking. So you've got to do a better job of ball containing. Now, if we do that and take away Rudy as far as interior, then that kick-out pass to the corner, and that's when the Jazz really exploited. The Jazz, you, know, you, you know the numbers. The Jazz are first in the NBA in three-point shooting mates per game at 16.7, and that's, that's the regular season. But in this playoff series, the Jazz is shooting 41.1 from threes, and that's been a huge difference maker. So ball containment and do a better job of close out to the corners. Donovan Mitchell uh, comes back, coach, and the Jazz have gone 3-0 and since. And I know we've asked you a similar questions to this in the past, but just what has his presence done for the team in these past three games? It gives them uh, a franchise-type score, and that's Donovan. Sometimes doesn't shoot straight, but that guy can score the ball in different ways. And he's a clutch performer. And you saw last night's game where he struggled so much shooting, but he got to the foul line and he created a penalty point by driving the ball and they were fouling him or kicking it out for the corner three or the, the dish pass to a Rudy Gobert. So what he does is that no matter what happens on a short clock, he can get a good shot based on his skill level and his athleticism, and he can, and he can make plays. And that's what his greatest uh, his contribution is. Let's not forget, Jake, do you realize that he's the all-time leaning jazz performer in playoff history, and more than Carl Malone, more than Adrian Danley, more than Pete Maravich, as far as points per game average. Donovan right now is averaging 27.4 points per game in the playoffs. So that his value is that he scores the ball out of innate abilities. What are you seeing out of Mike Conley that's making him effective? Well, right now, Gordon, he's playing in lockstep. So what he's doing that he's a, he's the um, ultimate second side of the floor scorer and playmaker. So you talk about with Donovan with the ball making plays, and so does Jordan Clarkson. Mike Conley often is on the other side of the floor. But then the Jazz play that, uh, that great swing-swing pass offense, and now the ball comes to Michael Conley. And then he goes into what? He's a uh, really cerebral-type game. So last night's game in that fourth quarter when they played that switch defense, the Grizzlies, who fought hard uh, during the battle, Mike made those back-to-back threes because the defense switched on him and they, they backed up on him and he read the play purposely. So when they play him tightly, he drives around it with a shoulder game. When they back off, he makes that uh, three. So here's a quick numbers. Mike Conley in this series versus the Grizzlies, he's averaging 20 points per game, shooting 53-3 from three-point range, averaging 10.3 assists, and he's from the foul line, perfect, 10 for 10. So he uh, himself and Donovan and the half of Jordan Clarkson, not as far as his ability, but when he's on the floor, those guys have dominated the Grizzlies on perimeter. So, Coach, I want to ask you this question. I asked I asked it to Booner the other night, but uh, rewind to Game Three for a second with me. In the fourth quarter, the the Grizzlies work it all the way back. They get the game tied. They take the lead by two. At that point, the Jazz totally reversed the momentum, shut the door, and ended up winning the game, going away. My question to you is, how hard is that to do 
when the the moment you lose a lead, you lose the momentum. The other team takes the lead. You you figure, man, they're really on a run, and then the Jazz just stopped them dead in their tracks and won going away. How hard is that to do? Difficult, absolutely. And by the way, other guys are good. I mean, the Grizzlies, to their credit, they're, they're trying to get the knockout punch versus the Jazz. The Jazz didn't cooperate in that game. The Jazz defense really got in the passing lanes. They were much more physical without fouling. So suddenly during that that sequence. Donovan's in a passing lane, so is a Royce O'Neal, so is Boyan Bondanovich, and it made it very uncomfortable. And when those guys penetrated, meaning the Grizzlies, Rudy Gobert had the perfect angle to challenge shots, and then he got defensive rebound. So a lot of times when you're, you increase your defensive activity, you shoot the ball better. And that was a classic example in the last four minutes of that game with the Jazz defense uh, kicked it up three gears and went for the knockout punch on the road. And that was a terrific win, and that propelled the Jazz to win last night. Up 3-1, usually it's only 13 times, Jake and Gordon, in history of the NBA, that a team uh, up 3-1 lost the series. Now, I know you're going to say That's, that was the Jazz last year. You're, you're exactly right. The Denver Nuggets were, did it twice out of the 13 times historically down 3-1, beat the Jazz, down 3-1, beat the Clippers. But most times, generally speaking, you're up 3-1, you're going to go for the knockout punch. So maybe you just answered my question, but it would be this. If you were to guess, Gordy, what do you think is likely to happen from here on out in this series? Do the Jazz close it out uh, on Wednesday night, or is there something else at foot here? No, the Jazz will close it out Wednesday night. Usually speaking, in a closeout game, it's a fierce battle, and both teams compete with unbelievable urgency. One squad to stay alive, the other group is to advance on, and that's the Jazz. So it will be an ugly game tomorrow night in a, in a, as a compliment where the, both teams are going to play incredible fierceness. And that, so there will be erratic shooting, there will be long-scoring droughts, but the Jazz are, are a better team depth-wise. They have the, uh, they have the, the two franchise uh, anchors, meaning Donovan and Rudy Gobert defensively and also on the boards. And the other guys are the youngest team in the NBA that's playing in the playoffs, and they are certainly willing, but they're showing their signs of inexperience of making plays. So the Jazz should advance, which is absolutely critical. They get some well-deserved rest. And this time of year, in the first round, it's good. Rest is positive, where you're waiting for a quote, not to get ahead, but a next-round opponent. Uh, Coach Gordon Chiesa with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question, Coach, but we've got John Moran in this series and Donovan Mitchell in this series, and there's no question that they're emerging stars, NBA stars. But there are also players that I think could be better on the defensive end and that would even take them to another level uh, uh, as more complete players. When it comes to coaching offense, you know, you tell a player to go get up a zillion free throws or, or shoot threes or whatever, all this fun stuff to do. How How is that different from coaching a player to get better defensively? Because defense is an intangible. So you mentioned about shooting three throws, a rainbow of three-point shots, scoring. It's a visual, and it's ingrained in the players. If I score, that means I have value. But from a team standpoint, now it gets interesting, especially in playoff basketball. Jake, in the fourth quarter, if I'm John Moran-type talent, that's the catchword, talent, I've got to guard 
I can score the ball and make plays. Yes, you can. But as in the, the maturation of players, they've got to guard their position, whether it's on ball, whether it's off ball, or whether, whether you play switch defense. And that's how, that's, how the, that's how the teams are judged. But players don't think like that, Jake. So over a period of getting punched in the face in the playoffs, you finally emerge. For example, Jake, you just described Devin Booker. Right, so big time scorer. You love his game offensively. Oh, by the way, his defense has been erratic historically. They get this guy called Chris Paul. He uplifts the group uh, daily in practice, and he sees what he does defensively. And then suddenly, the other sidekick player, meaning star player, Devin Booker, Jake, he suddenly guards the ball better and screening action. He gets over the screen and he tries to, to his credit and in the maturing process, guard his position. And that'll be John Morant within a year or two. It, but it's this, this thing called the playoffs, it's always painful. Just don't make it fatal. Gordy, in this series, we've seen the Grizzlies complain to the officials a lot about getting called for fouling jazz three-point shooters, crowding their landing space and whatnot. And I, and I think that is a foul, and I think that's a fair call. Sometimes, though, I see a player, especially like a John Morant, who goes up into the air on a shot, and he is flying forward into the defender, and the defender gets called for the foul. Have you noticed that, and is that... Is that the way it should be? No, exactly. I believe very much. So exactly. So those airborne talents, whether it's in the lane or at the three-point line, they're jumping to they're jumping into defensive players' of space defensively. So Gordon, the counterpunch to that is that when I play closeout defense, we're saying a three-point shot, I sprint three-fourths of the distance at full speed. The one-fourth where I judge the uh, judge myself, I break into a stance and. What most players do wrong, they try to contest the shot with both hands, and that's when the shooter jumps into the player's both hands and creates a foul. Or he creates a foul lower body, lending to the defense player's space. So what you want to do is contest with one hand, and not, and so make that referee see only one hand contest. When Morant in the lane right now, it's the principle of verticality is that when you're guarding him or help defense, you've got to show up straight, and we call that show the referees your, your wrist. In other words, you don't, put your, you don't snap your wrist defensively. You keep your wrist up high, so we call that heaven stance. My, my, my wrists are pointing towards heaven. Please, Lord, don't call a foul. <laughs> Coach, uh, I want to uh, just to step away from the Jazz for one second, uh, ask you about the Clippers and the Mavericks, and just a two-part question. In your career, how many playoff series have you seen where the road team wins the first four games? Because it's got to be unbelievably rare. And second part to that is, what have the Clippers figured out? It's absolutely very rare. As a matter of fact, uh, the road team is a... Uh is really perfect this year uh, in that series. So both both the Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks have won both times on the other team's floor. So it's absolutely a rarity. So what I've seen is this, is that the Clippers, uh, the first two games were hanging out. They didn't play hard, and the Mavericks, to their credit, they really uh, played well and shot well, and the, their bench guys played terrific. Now, in Dallas, it was the opposite. And I know right now that Luka Dodgers is hurt with that, with that neck injury where he, he has a hard time turning his neck to make plays, and he's lost peripheral vision. But the Clippers, led by the two 
really terrific talents, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they have really absolutely played both sides of the ball, and that's been the biggest difference where they're able to um, – they can't stop them offensively. Uh, hit, hit Kawhi Leonard, Jake. Hit some quick numbers about Kawhi in his playoffs. He's averaging 33 points per game, 52.7 field goal percentage, 47.6 from threes, 8.5 rebounds, and 87.5 from the foul line. Then his sidekick, Paul George, averaging 25 points a game. So their star players are playing like stars in a supporting cast. But Jake, interestingly, and Gordon, they made a slight change. So instead of starting Zubats, who we all like as a young center, they start uh, Nicholas Batoon to try to slow down somewhat Luka Doncic, and they move Marcus Morich to be a small center. So they went ultra small in this last two games, and that's been beneficial. When you see a player like Doncic start to miss his free throws the way he has in this series, Gordy, what's going on there? amazing about his free throw shooting. He's only shooting 40.6 from the three throw line. Yikes. 13 for 32. You know what it is? He's absolutely so tired mentally. So his touch is really good. In other words, he's a, he's, think about his three-point shot. He's shooting 40% from three and 40% from the foul line. Really? And the reason why is there's so much pressure on him mentally, physically, spiritually to carry his team when he gets to the foul line, that he's exhausted mentally. It's no excuse, though. Even though he's in great shape, is that he's, he's shooting really the ball really as a lazy shot, and that's affected his group right now. And you know, Gordon, speaking of foul, shoot, uh, foul shooting, the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis. Giannis also, even though the Bucks, you know, knocked out the, the Heat four games to zero, uh, zero. Pardon me, but Giannis has struggled from the foul line. So Giannis is only shooting from the foul line only 63 percent uh, this this series, and from three point range, Giannis is shooting one for sixteen from threes in the playoffs so far. So if you're coaching guys like that, what do you say to them? Okay, what you say to them is that when you get fouled, you've got to walk away. You've got to, get, you, you got to get, get yourself composed. Get yourself composed and close your eyes and think about the ball going in and remember the mechanics of shooting because it's absolutely critical. Think about it. When guys miss shots, most times they're, they're too much on their heels versus being on their toes on their release point, and also they're shooting the ball flat versus what? Upward. Is that you've got to be, have you be up on your toes, release point, and, keep, and shoot with a, a mid-arc to the basket. And when you don't do that, that means what? The mechanics are poor most times based on leg weariness and also mental fatigue. You know, Coach, it's it's certainly not a controversial opinion to say the Lakers aren't as good without Anthony Davis. But uh, I was surprised the other day how um, non-impactful the rest of the role players were on that Lakers team. If he has to miss a few games, how much trouble are they in? They're in deep trouble. That even though they're they have an elite talent in LeBron is that they're absolutely in trouble. And part of it is the locally here, Jake. Let's describe right now uh, Kyle Kuzma. So Kyle Kuzma, the former youth player, he's shooting right now 24% in this series from the field, 
That's the good part, Jake and Gordon. It's <laughs> even worse than that. 18% from threes. Oof. So Anthony Davis is not there because of the string left groin, just it doesn't play, that they've got to get scoring out of Kuzma. And I don't mean like eight points a game. I mean like he's got to get like 26 and 14 rebounds and impact to help LeBron as far as trying to carry a load. Because without Anthony Davis... Uh, they need other players not to step up, Jake, but really, truly outplay the other guys of the Suns who are playing terrific. Let's add to this. Injuries are all part of the playoffs. How about Chris Paul? He's playing with one shoulder, and it's his left shoulder. His right shoulder, his shooting arm, is absolutely bruised, and it's beat up. Last game, it's amazing, Jake and Gordon. He gets 18 points, 9 assists, 3 steals, and most of all, no turnovers in that game where the, where the Suns beat the Lakers and L.A. 192. That's how tough he is mentally, and that's what, what, a, what a tremendous leader he is with that group. So, Gordy, Jake and I always uh, uh, anticipate your list. I understand you have one today. Yes, we do. This list today is right, right on about Chris Paul and about Mike Conley as far as being pass happy. This list today, uh, Jake and Gordon, is the NBA all-time playoff career assist leaders, the top 10 career-wise. Number 10, the late great Kobe Bryant had 1,040 playoff assists. Number 9, from Chicago Bulls, Scottie Pippen. 1,048. Number eight, he coached the Brooklyn Nets right now. Steve Nash, via Canada, via, uh, via South Africa, where he was born, he, uh, had, he, has, he had 1,061 assists. Number seven, one of the all-time greatest players, scorers, etc., Larry Bird with 1,062. All right, number six, he's playing right now as we speak, vastly underrated, Rajon Rondo, sixth all-time in playoff assists, with 1,109. Number five, he's a Frenchman. Every, every jazz uh, fan loves this guy, despite being the, uh, the enemy, Tony Parker, 1,143. Number four, great player, Hall of Fame, assistant coach of the L.A. Lakers, Jason Kidd, 1,263. Number three, our fan favorite, when out objective talking about him, John Stockton, third all-time 1,839, and add to that, he averaged 10.1 assists per game. All right, number two, Jake just talked about him a, a few minutes ago. LeBron James is second all-time in assists with 1,905 and counting. And the number one all-time assist leader in the history of the NBA playoffs is Magic Man, Magic Johnson, 2,000. 346 assists, which comes to 12.3 assists per game. So that's our top 10. And the last point about this is that what about the mailman? The mailman scored so many points and rebounds, but do you realize this, Jake and Gordon, that call is number 41 all-time in assists in history of uh, the NBA with 610 averaging 3.2 assists in 193 games. How about it? Coach, uh, thanks for coming on as always. We look forward to our conversations. Thanks, guys. Peace out. Stay well. Back at you, Coach. Coach Gordon Chiesa with us here on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You know, when you're counting up those assists, uh, two things come to mind when you talk about playoff assists. The first is, well, there's three. First is how talented the guys are. 
But also, you got to be in the playoffs and be playing on a good team. And third is related to that. You got to have guys who make shots because you don't get the assist if the shot isn't made. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of playoff stats are kind of funny to talk about because it really does depend on how many playoff games you play. Unless you're talking about averages, I suppose. But even then, it's it's skewed, right? But I guess you could say, well, if you're that great a player, you would have your team in the playoffs. With Who, playoff opportunity. I right? suppose. Who was the, the longtime uh, Saints player that racked up all the yards but never could get to the playoffs? Oh, wasn't it Manning Sr.? Archie? Yeah. Wasn't it Archie who, who racked up a lot of yards and always on a bad team? Uh, yeah, probably. Kind of. Who's 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 the modern day that who? Uh, let's think. Uh, Stafford for the Lions. <laughs> now the Rams. Now the Rams. Who everybody thinks like, oh yeah, that guy's pretty good, but yet never has won a, a single thing in his career. I really feel bad for people like that, you know, who who are, uh, you know, talented, but but dragged down by their teammates. You yeah. can relate to that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so frustrating, Dave. It now? <laughs> it's so, so frustrating. All right. We'll have more Big Show coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.